You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Niklas Ramos Dahlberg, Operating Advisor at Verdane. Go out there, get the insights, segment your customers, try to really understand what can we learn from our existing customers to influence how we shape the ideal customer profile, because it might be the most effective thing that you can do in order to influence your future success as well. All right, we are back with another episode of the podcast, and we are really happy that you choose to join us yet another time. And today we're going to learn some new stuff, at least us. Right. Because we have a, a real expert with us today. Yes. The, the purpose is always to learn something and to spread that knowledge and so on. But when we uh, started talking to this fella and he had an idea for a topic, we we're like, what the hell is that? Let's talk about that. So we're coming in... Um, rather green into this one. Let's see where it takes us. And uh, join us. Here we go. Today, we are very happy to welcome Niklas Ramos Dahlberg, Operating Advisor with Focus on Customer Success and Go-To-Market at Verdane. So welcome, Niklas. Thank you, Thomas and Daniel. Nice to be here. It's really great to have you here. And you're a little bit of a celebrity in our world, at least. You know, we've had you on some of our our other events. It started actually already on Clubhouse in the beginning of the days. Uh, we, we managed to find you. An OG. Yeah. An OG. An OG. And you've been a part of some of our sassiest events. Uh, but this is actually the first time we get you on the podcast after more than two years in business. Finally, finally. Oh, you see, yeah, you see, you see, you see. I mean, it's, it's super interesting, actually. I mean, it's, uh, it's funny that you mentioned Clubhouse because I remember actually a lot of the people that I joined during that event that you actually hosted on Clubhouse we're still in contact. We're still doing a lot of things together. So it's interesting how that kind of platform that had a very sharp spike up in popularity and then obviously decreased pretty significantly quite quickly after. Yeah. Uh, but that kind of event brought a lot of great people together in the Nordic. So it's, yeah, I think it filled the purpose. Yeah, it sure did. All I heard was that the community is working. <laughs> you guys are still in touch. Yes. Yeah. Thomas, what, what we're doing is working really great. Absolutely. Yeah, we had over 100 speakers within a few months time on Clubhouse. So that really helped us to map out the, the SaaS community in the Nordics and also built a lot of relationships. So yeah, here we are. Here we are. And Niklas, for those who don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your professional history and what you're doing today? Sure. So my name is Niklas Ramon Staberg. I am an operating advisor focusing on go-to-market and customer success at Verdane Elevate, which is the operating part of Verdane. Um, I have spent the last 10 years actually in the SaaS business in different roles prior to joining Verdane, um, more, most recently as the chief customer officer at Hive Streaming, uh, which was the, the uh, Nordic SaaS company of the year in 2020, actually, thanks to our significant growth journey. And prior to that one, I spent a couple of years in London as well, uh, working for a company called Freespeed, which is also a Swedish SaaS company or with roots in Sweden, but with a significant international presence. So part of building up customer success there as well. So obviously, big passion for customer centricity, 
all things custom experience, because I just think it's an incredibly uh, interesting space to be in as well. Yeah. And how did you end up there? I mean, customer success, uh, a number of years ago, no one heard about it. And, and what was your first encounter with customer success? Pioneer. He's a pioneer, Thomas. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. So this is uh, it's a super interesting story, actually, or funny story, I should say. I didn't go into customer success on purpose. Uh <laughs> Fun fact is that I was actually, I met uh, Tobias, who's one of the co-founders of Frisbee. I met him actually when my girlfriend at the time, when or my partner at the time, we were expecting our, our first child. And the funny thing is that we actually met at this kind of, you know, I, I don't really know what it's called in English, but it's basically this kind of way where, where you meet up when you're expecting your first baby so that you're supposed to get this kind of like education, what you should think about, etc. So you you went to this breathing exercise? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> so I met him there. But finally, we've actually been work. We had been doing projects together, but in a different constellation because I was working for a for a media agency and we'd be working on a big project for Bridgestone. So Frisbee was part of it from a technology perspective. And we did a lot of things from a media perspective and we were leveraging their technology to, to track bookings, for example, that happened via phone when you wanted to, for example, uh, switch your tires versus via a, a first stop uh, workshop. And we started to talk there. And I think that we both found that it was super interesting what they were doing. And they were saying, Hey, we need someone who wants to come in and do a little bit of sales, a little bit of working with existing customers. We think we're going to call it account management. Mm -hmm. So in Sweden, as you do, you normally resign from your job and then you have to wait three months before you can start the new one. Yeah. But as I'm starting the new job, they're actually changing the role and they say, Hey, there's something going on in San Francisco called customer success. We think we're going to change your, your, your role and you're going to have to figure out what this is. <laughs> so I actually had to do all of the research myself get in contact with companies in San Francisco that was doing a lot of customer success because there was very little content and a very small community in, in the Nordics around this. Uh, and actually, I have to learn it the, the hard way, like learn the trade via talking to people, engaging in the community and really learning from others. It's been one, one heck of a journey. Like, you know, I'm going to make a bold statement. I know, uh, Nicholas, you're a very nice guy, and unlike me, I suppose. But from now on, we're going to call you Mr. Customer Success here in the Nordics. <laughs> like, I, I, re I really like, you have a really strong LinkedIn game. I, I really like the content you share with, with the communities. Like, it's, it's thoughtful, it's provocative, it's new, and it's unique. So, I'm, I'm going to make a little bit of a push for you here. So, if, if you don't know Nicholas before, if you're keen to learn more about customer success and customer experience, check him out. All right. So you mentioned Verdane that you ended up there. So could you tell us a little bit about Verdane and, and what you do there? Yes. So Verdane is uh, one of Europe's largest or and most successful growth investors investing in scale-ups in, in different areas, mainly focusing on digitalization and sustainability and obviously digital consumers. So three, three legs there. Now, um, what we do, like apart from being just an investor that deploys capital into companies and invest them to help them grow, uh, we have also invested in building an operating team called Verdane Elevate. So the way that we see Verdane Elevate is a platform play almost. We think about uh, Verdane Elevate having different legs to actually help the companies that we have invested in. And the different legs that we do focus on as part of uh, Verdane Elevate is really doing you know, bespoke value creation projects, setting up a lot of events for our portfolio companies, trying to do our best when it comes to research to help them with data and benchmarking, running community initiatives, functional groups between different leaders in the different companies, trying to help them with best in breed tech stack, 
connecting them to external partners and making sure that they have a resource library that is curated to help them to succeed in their growth journeys as well. So that's pretty much what Verdane Elevate is all about. All right. Yeah. And what I think is really cool about this, at least I'm not aware of too many that have a similar setup here in the Nordics or even in, in Europe is like the Elevate team, they're actually employed 100% by Verdane. It's not some external advisors that you get called in at need. You, you're there all the time, so to say. And you sit very, very closely with your portfolio companies. I think that's rather unique because many people say, hey, you, you raise with us, our advisors are going to help us. But many of their advisors are just somebody they pay per the hour or you know a fee per need, so to say, but you guys are sticking around all the time. 100%. And uh, we are also investing heavily in this team to make sure that we're supporting all areas of a business. So it's not just myself focusing on customer success as part of the larger go-to-market team. We have people focusing on B2B marketing for SaaS companies, people specializing on, you know, B2C marketing for those selling to, you know, to consumers. We have ex-CFOs from great companies. So all kind of aspects of building a great company, we want to make sure that we have a peer uh, to make sure that we can actually support someone who can really relate to the people building those fantastic companies out there. Um, and I think that that has been really appreciated and it's really fun as well. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So now when we have you on this show, Niklas, we want to take the opportunity to learn something new. And, and something that we discussed the other day was EGR, so it's a new acronym, maybe not that new, but it's Earn Growth Rate and the importance of that. So could you tell us what it is? Yes, absolutely. So first and foremost, I wanted to actually highlight the person who brought this to my mind and tell us a little bit of a story about this, because this is actually not something that I found out about my, uh, you know, on my own. Uh, it's actually part of the wider community that brought this to me. Uh, but fun fact is that I've always been trying to think about, okay, you know, if we think about our customers and we try to think about them as assets in a way, right? They can bring a lot of revenue to us in terms of increasing their net revenue retention so that we increase the, you know, customer lifetime value as long as we keep them longer and they continue to grow. So that's fantastic by itself. Right. But if you think about the really best customers, those are the ones that do not only grow by themselves, but do also, for example, bring new customers to you in terms of helping you advocate in the different communities, even when you're not even part of it. So those are actually influencing other people to buy. And I've always been trying to think about, there should actually be some kind of way of measuring this one in a smart way. And I remember them putting out the post about this on LinkedIn um, as part of what I do almost on a weekly basis to try to put something out there and talk about the best customers are the ones that are really buying more, but they're also, for example, referring you to others, bringing new people in, but at the same time, also, whenever they switch companies, they might also buy again from you. So we're talking about second order revenue, as many people would refer to it. Right. And in one of the comments, Peter Olson, who is the CEO of uh, Quick Search, uh, another company here in, uh, in Sweden, uh, he actually commented and recommended a book. Uh, and it's a guy who actually invented or the, the person who coined uh, NPS, Fred Reichelb. So he has now written a new book about this kind of new concept about earned growth rate because he wants to take NPS, as he called it, to the next level. NPS only tells you, you know, it's, it's, it's future looking, trying to predict my, is someone, you know, would you be happy to recommend our business, for example? But it's not really telling you about how much revenue has been influenced to it. So this is about taking it a step further and actually talking about it. What is the total effect of your customer success efforts 
and the experience that you deliver. Okay. Because by the end of the day, what earned growth rate is, it is your net revenue retention. Then you add the earned growth. So customers that were that are new acquisite that you are, are acquiring, new customers that you're acquiring, but the percentage that comes that has been influenced from referrals. And then you divide, then you subtract a hundred percent. That's your earn, that's your earned growth rate. And why is this so important? Well, I think it's super important because we're moving into a super decentralized world almost, uh, where most of the sales and marketing is not necessarily happening only from your companies. It's happening in the local communities that are out there, either if it's on Slack or if it's another channel. But it's really, it's really, uh, you know, all of that kind of advocacy for the companies that are really good at this one. They are having their existing customers doing a lot of work, helping them with, with kind of the early stages of the funnel, like, promoting their product, making sure to bring new prospects in, et cetera. And that's the total effect that you want to have. And then you want to be able to measure your earned growth rate. All right. So just to get the equation uh, correctly here. So if I have an NRR on uh, 120, so I have a growth on my existing customer base on 20%, then I add how much that influence new customer acquisitions that might be 20% as well so now I'm now I'm at 140 right and then I subtract the the 100% that was if my customers just were on the same level right so my existing customer contributes with 40% that's correct thank god boom that engineering <laughs> school paid off like we've sent Thomas to the most expensive engineering school in, in Sweden so like bam all right you still got it man okay thanks <laughs> yeah but uh, but a big shout out to Peter Olson for bringing it to my I think I think it's a great one um it's still going to be interesting i don't think a lot of companies have yet adopted it like in the perfect way because it's still going to be a manual thing where you're going to have to ask your customers and then attribute it correctly etc but i still think it's a new like new and super interesting concept that really brings forward the first time like that we can actually have a measurement of custom experience which has been sometimes a little bit of fluffy to find attribution to it right like if we make our customers successful and provide a great experience because only making them successful is usually not going to turn them into advocates but if you add a great experience to it that's usually a higher likeliness of them becoming those kind of super advocates all right right i like this concept i think it's, it's really interesting and it makes me think a little bit of uh it relates a little bit to Another trendy concept, like, you know, the dark social and the man gen, and, and you just mentioned it here now, like, how do you attribute it? So I know it's new, but like, what would your recommendation be? Like, how do I actually find out how many of my customers are influencing new prospects to buy from me? Like, how do I do that? Yeah, I mean, it's there is no kind of like perfect answer on this one right now. And I don't think like as much as we want to automate things, I think you have to go, you know, turn to really manual stuff. So every time that you are having, you're getting, you know, into a conversation with a new prospect from a sales perspective, you not only want to look at, for example, your marketing attribution stack, like what is that one say? You also want to ask the prospect, what is the reason, like what influenced you to consider us? Right. If you ask that question, you should be able to know if there has been someone amongst your existing customers that had an impact or an influence in them actually talking to you or considering your your product. I would say that that's probably like the the best option that we have today because automating this one, of course, you know, if you're going to have to do it at scale, maybe you have to do it by an automation. So you actually send something out and ask them for free text entry, and then you have to normalize the data in order to do it. 
Now, of course, we're going to come to the complexity, which is like, how do you weight this one, right? Uh, I mean, you can't say that it's going to be maybe 100% weighting to say it's only this one that influence because you still have great salespeople who will do their work. You still have great marketing that are part, you know, participating and helping that one move forward in the funnel. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how different companies approach this. But at some point, we're going to have to say we're going to weight this in in a certain way and then attribute it in a certain way yeah but we're gonna have to start asking the prospect whether that is in an automated way through service or or anything like that or just in an in-person conversation we gotta have to separate what's happening with the marketing attribution that we can track in the way that we have tracked before in terms of channels versus what actually influenced them to consider yeah exactly i'm, I'm just thinking out loud here now i think it's going to be really important to crack that because like at least in the world where I come from, you know, uh, running sales teams, there has been at least for the 15 years that I've been <laughs> on the operational side, always a pissing contest between sales and marketing, like who actually contributed with how much to this deal. And I can see that you can expand that pissing contest now if customer success also going to be like, wait a minute, it was us also. <laughs> So, like, you know, as good as it is, you, you want to make sure that you figure out how you basically somehow attribute to who contributed to what. Yeah, uh, no, of course. And I mean, I, I don't think that it's going to be without its, you know, certain level of complexity. But what I think, and I think you bring us to an, another different aspect of this one, which is why are, is it always ending up in a pissing contest? I think that that's more related to, you know, very siloed organization where everyone is rather trying to find you know to, to try to justify their own work rather than saying like how are we all contributing as a bigger go-to-market team to help the company being successful i think that that is ultimately what's going to have to happen is to bring all of these teams closer together find overlapping things where they can have shared accountability for making it happen and doing what's right rather than doing just you know the right thing for 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 their perspective for, for for their function so it's really removing those kind of silos find ways of overlapping this one and make sure that we can we are we're tracking progress as a company as an overall like on the overall growth rather than being too obsessed about you know this pissing contest which as you refer to it right so there there is another aspect of this as well is that you know it can happen in different times in the funnel or so or different times in the sales process you could actually discover the product or solution from another customer uh, and it could be something that uh, you see along the way that um, that influences, or it could be a reference call in the very end of the sales process. And I don't know if you should weight that differently or so. I don't know if you have any any ideas around that. No, I think it's an interesting uh, reflection, and I think it's a it's a valid one to make as well. And maybe we should also try to separate those and say, you know, this is the number of times that these you know that our work that the work we do with existing customers leads to people actually considering us like taking the first step becoming for example inbound leads yeah uh versus those where that are sales initiated but that are helped in the closing stage so i think it's more like how do we start to understand this bigger picture of how we're like of our overall go to market and how we're identifying like how we are attracting or creating demand versus helping us close them so those are two separate things but at the same time i think it's an equally important thing to say like the more customers that you can build up to become so-called advocates not only the ones where you ask them to become that but those who are also becoming it organically in dark social that daniel mentioned earlier as well um, 
we're going to have to look at these ones a little bit different. I think that we have, yeah, in one way or another, we're going to have to, but I think it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a healthy thing to start tracking those, in, in, whether that's manually or, or in, in a smart automated way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, and I think one thing that a lot of companies are struggling with is what you're saying, creating these advocates or, or how to activate their customers to be referrals. So, and also what's in it for them? Uh, any thoughts around that? A, a lot of thoughts around that. Uh, one of my favorite topics, actually. <laughs> no, but I, I, I think a lot of times, like, I I always try to think about that. There are so many great companies out there. There are so many great products. And every person that you sell to is using multiple products. Yeah. And they're usually very good. Now, they're not going to be an advocate for every product. So what you're competing with is their time. Like you are competing for their time when it comes to advocates as well. Because if everyone is going to want them to advocate for them, it's just not going to be feasible because their time is going to de decrease. So what you're going to have to do is really create an exceptional experience. And I always say the custom experience, to me at least, is superior than anything else. Now, customer success focuses a lot of customer outcomes, which is great because the, the outcome is usually the first step in creating a great experience. If I sign up for a product and then it doesn't deliver on its promises, well, it's not a very good experience, right? It, 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 it kills the experience. Right, right. Now, the way that I see, the way that I try to think about value that leads to the, an exceptional customer experience is breaking it down into three different levels. I try to think about it, the functional value of the product itself. I try to think about the value for the team, which we sell to, like how is, how can we, what can we do as a company to provide more value to them? Right. And what can we do to provide value also to the individuals in terms of helping them getting recognition for their work, promoting them, them in the community, right? So a lot of the times I think we need to think differently about advocacy and say, it's not something we have the right to have. It's something you earn by helping others shine. Right. So you got to have to provide the value first, and then you earn the right for them to actually promote you. Right. But that's ultimately not your call. But you're going to have to ask yourself, are we providing value? on our promises how fast are we delivering on our promises because the faster you do usually the better the customer experience are we providing value to the team are we providing value to the individual and if you're ticking all of those boxes it's so much more easier to actually go in there and actually leverage this kind of mutual benefits that happens once you someone feels that you know they have achieved something great thanks to your product but the product is just one piece of the puzzle then you have supported them throughout this journey but they are the heroes of the story not your company and that is an important uh, differentiator. And I think it's so much easier to actually drive advocacy if you if you come to terms with that, if you come to terms with that idea that you know it's not only about your company, it's about your customers. Fundraising can be exhausting. With Float, funding for SaaS businesses has never been easier. All digital funding platform apply in just a few clicks. 100% customizable growth loans to fit your needs. No dilution, no personal or equity guarantees. Fuel your growth by accessing a credit line of up to 70% of your ARR within days. And the best of all, you get a fixed interest rate from Float. Visit gofloat.io and get funded. I have a question here, like if we just take a step back then, and uh, I'm just now thinking again, a lot of people have, you know, uh, a CRM or, or maybe some kind of a customer success platform where they maintain, you know, customer health scores and so on. But if I haven't had, call it a referral program, like how do I go about to select 
my first batch of referral individuals? Like, wh- what is the tell? Like, how do I select? It should be Steve, Julie, and Andrew. It's, it's, it's a great question. I would say really like, you know, you got to have to think about the people behind the company. So not only the company itself, because ultimately a company is made up of a bunch of people who are doing great things together for the collective good of the shared company, right? Like the company they work for. Now, if you're going to have to, you know, select who you're going to focus on to actually build that kind of advocacy, you want to think about, okay, you know, who is actually my champion here? Because ultimately, it's going to come down to that. If you have no champions, it's going to be very hard to drive advocacy. So your question is going to have to start with what do we need to do to, to first identify who is a great prospect to become a champion? Because no one is usually a champion from day one. So you're going to have to build up that champion. Right. And the second question you're going to have to ask yourself, okay, you know, once we have identified who is the best prospect in terms of persons to become a champion in this company, what do we need to do as a company to make sure that they become a champion? And then that goes back to those kind of levels of value, right? You think about value for the company, usually why they buy the product, value for the team and value for the individual. And then you put yourself, hold yourself accountable to deliver on all of these ones, right? Uh, I think it's an important thing to always deliver on your promises first, like on a product level, uh, before you start focusing on the other things. But usually you've got to have to do at some point focusing on delivering value on the other aspects as well, like providing value for the team, providing value for the individual, because that's ultimately going to increase your, you know, your probability of turning this champion into a super advocate that can actually, it's going to be happy to talk, you know, be a reference for other customers, for future investors, or even, you know, on their own where you're not seeing it in dark social channels, if they're a part of a Slack channel to go there and recommend you without you even asking it. I mean, that's usually the best type of advocacy. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And uh, that brings me probably to another thought then that it's it's one thing once you've identified these, these champions and you have a salesperson that is in the middle of a deal, then it's easy to pick up the phone and be like, hey, Mr. Champion or Mrs. Champion, can you take the call? And then they'll probably say yes. That is easy to measure, you know. But what about their own initiatives, you know, when they do things or not do things on their own? So you identify they are champions. How do you actually measure that they uh, proactively push for you and talk about the great experience with your products? Well, I, th- I think we come back to what we talked about earlier, right? You're going to have to ask them. Uh, for example, you can find out either by asking them as well. And I think uh, for example, I am not a big. Fan, I'm going to say it right out. I'm not a big fan of NPS in B2B. I think it has a certain level of value, but I think it's you know only tracking that one. You're getting very limited, you know, understanding of your real advocacy because it's not really. Uh, there was a there was a study on this one actually published in Harvard Business Review a couple of years ago that actually illustrated this that you know the ones who actually score high on an NPS are are not necessarily also those who are actually advocating and have an impact on your customer referral value right um but you know if, if you think about that and you say okay if we're going to start to survey our customers whether we do that through a survey or whether we do that in an imper- like if, if we collect this data via a, a normal conversation why not ask them instead how many times have you recommended us to someone else in the last x months mm. That's a much better question, right? Because that's going to tell you whether they have actually done it or not. Yeah. It's not actually future looking for something that might happen or might not happen. It's actually saying if they're doing that or not. And then for new customers, when they come on board, as we talked about earlier, we have to ask them what influenced them to actually consider you as a potential vendor. Yeah. If you have those two things, I think you're really did, you know, discovering this kind of like the impact of 
what's happening in your dark, dark social channels as well. Mm. Now, of course, I'm not an expert when it comes to demand gen marketing. That's not really like, you know, my, my, my field of expertise, but you know, the logical answer to this one really like talk to your customers. You have to talk to them and actually just discover, you know, what influenced it. Cause there's a very different thing to say what made you end up, you know, on our website versus what actually influenced you to buy or consider. Because uh, some of the, with MPS, often it's um, quite a low percent that actually answer the question. And then you have the ones playing nice, giving you a high grade of laziness or just being kind. And the ones that might be, you know, struggling or working or, you know, being really engaged, maybe they are not the, the ones that gives you the highest rates, but they are actually the ones that are also talking with other customers about you, your solution and so. Yeah, 100%. And, 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 I can actually share a story on this one. I'm not going to disclose the name, but when I was a chief customer officer at Hive Streaming... Are we allowed to guess? Yeah, you're allowed to guess. Yeah, you can, you can guess. I'm just kidding. Uh, so it, it's, a, it's a funny story because obviously we did. I mean, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do NPS. I think you should do NPS, but I think you should also match that up with some better intel as well because only doing that one is not going to cut it. Now... Um, we obviously did that as well. We did a quarterly survey with our customers. And what we called the, the NPS question was obviously part of that, but we asked other questions in that as well. Now, an interesting thing is that we obviously had our customer health score where we looked at different things, such as, you know, what is their engagement in terms of, you know, with us as a company, you know, how much are they using the product? We tried to look at different aspects of it to conduct a health score. And one of our one of our largest customers, I'm not gonna disclose their name again. Um, they actually didn't want to have any meetings with us. And it was super scary. We were like, wow, this is not a good indication. They're actually declining all of our meetings. They don't want to do any business reviews. They're paying us hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. This is no good news. And when we did the survey later on, they actually scored us a 10 out of, like we got the highest score possible on the NPS, even though they never talked to us. Because for them, the expectation was like, well, I don't need to talk to you. I'm very happy with what I can find, for example, on your confluence, like on your, you know, what, whatever you're sharing with us externally. I don't have to talk to you because I'm actually experienced value on my own. Yeah. But our hypothesis was that, well, we saw that there was a clear indication that the customers that we actually had higher, better relationships with, higher engagement with, those were usually the ones where we had higher growth and higher success rate with. Yeah. But in this case, it wasn't just the truth. And there was a mismatch between what we thought the NPS would say versus what we saw in other aspects, right? So I'm saying, think about all kind of metrics, uh, not only the NPS, um, because there's a lot of nuances to that as well. Yeah, because in, in, in your case, then, they didn't need to spend time with you as a supplier because it just worked. Okay, we have other issues that we can focus our time on. Right? I, I think that that's also, like, again, like, you know, people are different. Yeah. Um, and I think that this is also something that, uh, you know, we in the customer success community need to come to terms with as well. Um, and I think that there's a great debate going on right now around scaled customer success. Like, how can we do more, you know, one-to-many engagements, like if we create content, for example, to serve customers, can we do that in a smarter way, especially now that we have to think about sustainable growth or many companies need to do that at least. So this uh, takes me back to another question here. So if you want to be successful with this, what do you need from the organization, tools, processes, uh, if you want to make more customers referenceable and um, yeah, get better outcome from your existing customers? It's a great question. Um, I think you have to start with the very obvious thing, um, and that is getting a good understanding of what 
what makes a customer successful? What is value to the customer and how do we measure that one? Once you know that one, you're going to have to reverse engineer from there and say, okay, now what do we need to do in order for this to happen versus what we're doing today? Once I've identified that one, you can then start building your metrics to say, okay, now what are my indicators that are telling me that we're moving in the right direction? And that should usually end up in some kind of a customer health score, at least in my opinion. Hmm. Um, your customer health score should be an indicator where someone is actually ready to become this kind of, you know, ready for advocacy, if you put it that way. Mm. And I think that here's really that kind of magical thing. And I think you're you're seeing um, a new role really. It's not really new. Some have done this for years, but it's emerging in terms of more and more companies having this role. And that really comes down to customer marketing role, like someone who focuses exclusively on only doing things with existing customers, you know, both for them, but also with them so that you're leveraging your existing customers to create content, to engage them in the community whatever that can be, right? But you're going to have to work closely with the CS team where the CS team is really helping the customer be successful. You're measuring success in a smart way. And then once you're there actually ripe and ready for advocacy, you know, you have a team that can actually folks who are specialized in doing a lot of activities with them because it might be too much for a CSM who is managing the, the account or the customer itself to run those activities because it is time consuming. It is a different skill set in a way. Uh, but really investing in a, in a great customer marketing team and having that close, working closely with your customer success team. I would say that that's a really golden recipe that we're seeing more and more companies embrace. Okay, so, so people actually have customer marketing. Is that common that the, that the company have that function? Yeah, it's becoming more and more common, actually. Um, I think like if you look at many of the great SaaS companies out there, uh, more and more of them have them. I think you know, Snowflake is a great example, maybe one of the most successful big ones out there. Um, you have Sprinkler, another company who's really, uh, you know, investing in this one. We have our own company as well, the one of one of the companies that we do invest in, which is Voyado, who is also doing a lot of around customer marketing. So, you know, we're we're seeing a lot of a lot, it's really picking up in pace. More com- more companies are really embracing this as part of the organization because they understand that there's a very different kind of thing to market towards prospect versus marketing to and with existing customers. Those work with very different stakeholders. Yeah. And besides doing some uh, user cases on the website and and maybe a video with a tour of the facilities and someone saying how good the the solution is, what what more can you do within customer marketing? Just in short. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think uh, ultimately, again, it comes back to what we talked about. I mean, customer marketing shouldn't really be just about your company or preferably should be as little about your product as possible. It should be about highlighting your customers in different manners, like their perspective, their stories. And that can be like we're doing right now. We're recording a podcast. If your company is having a podcast or having a partnership with a podcast, why don't you actually make sure that, you know, when your customer has been super successful in achieving a business outcome, yes, your product was part of that one. But again, it's just one piece of the puzzle. What really made the difference was your customer did amazing things. They had a great strategy. They had great goals. They had a great organization. They had great motivation. And they made it happen, right? So they they took all of these pieces of the puzzle and they made it happen together. Now you want to talk about their story, not your product. That's a very, very different thing. Mm. Um, so I would say, you know, podcast is a great example of what you, an, an initiative that you could do. You know, it can be another speaking session if you have a company event that you do once a year. Or I would even say like some of the things that we did at Hive Streaming was also like we invited them to our, you know, to, to, to speak what during sessions that we called, uh, you know, the video experience chronicle. So it was a custom made event that we did for our employees because we wanted to give something back, especially to the engineering team who usually don't get to engage with customers. 
And I think that, you know, you can be really creative around this and try to come up with the different types of categories, et cetera. Mm. But all in all, it's all about understanding as well. Like, how can you, you know, advocate for the customer and indirectly that becomes advocacy for you as well in one way or another. Right. That's really interesting. And we've learned a bunch of stuff. Like we just learned about customer marketing or at least I, I, I did. Like I, I come from the world where marketing did both existing customers and, and new customers. So I, I like this, you know, really nice split between you deal with the existing customers and you deal with the, the other stuff. And we also obviously learned about the earned growth rate. And listening to, to you here, Nicholas, made me just think about this again. I didn't realize it. I've, I've known it a long time ago, but it just <laughs> was a nice reminder that to be successful with all of this that we were talking about for the past half hour, it actually comes down to your ICP and what type of customers you initially win. Because if you win the wrong customers, this is not going to turn out a, a good exercise, regardless of what you do here. A hundred percent. No, I mean, I, it cannot be you know, overstated. Especially not now that we're moving into more sustainable, like focus on sustainable growth. If you acquire the wrong customers, you are onboarding future churn. Now I'm actually getting this. It's also, I don't remember who said that in the community, but it was something that I picked up. So it's not actually not my quote, but I think it's a great idea to talk about what happens if you're focusing on the wrong customers. And it has been easy. I mean, it's been the heydays of SaaS over the last 10 years. So it's been pretty easy to acquire customers, even though they're not the perfect fit. Now it becomes a little bit harder, but you're also seeing that one, that the ones who wasn't, uh, you know, the ones who weren't the perfect fit, they had much higher retention costs. Uh, they were not growing and they were not experienced as much value because they are not perfectly, you know, they're not set up to experience that amount of value. Right. So I think really focusing going down and, you know, as customer leader, if you're in a VP customer success role, or if you're a chief customer officer, or even if you're an individual contributor and feel that, you know, my company should do something more about this, go out there, get the insights, segment your customers, try to really understand what is, you know, what can we learn from our existing customers to influence how we shape the ideal customer profile? Because it might be the most effective thing that you can do in order to influence your future success as well. Yeah. Uh, because not all customers are going to experience as much value. Not all of them are going to be as up for growing or becoming advocates. So it's better to acquire those who actually tick all three boxes. Right. Exactly. So to acquire poor fit customers is to acquire churn. Now it's your quote. Yeah. I don't want to <laughs> steal that quote because I think it's a great one. I think we need to find the person who actually said it. But I, th I, I read it somewhere in the community and I think it, it's a brilliant one. As we thought, Niklas, uh, you have uh, learned us a lot. This has been very insightful and uh, we're looking forward to interacting more with you, getting some good articles to the SAS Nordic website and uh, for future events. But we would like to end off with getting some suggestions from you on future podcast guests. So who should we talk to next? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. Now, um, am I allowed to recommend three people even? Oh, go for it. The more the merrier in this case. <laughs> All right, because they're very different, but I think that they're equally as interesting as well. Uh, now, obviously, um, I think it would be interesting to to hear Peter Olson, who I also uh, referenced earlier as part of the one who brought earned growth rate to my attention. Um, obviously, he's the CEO of Quick Search. It would be interesting to hear his perspective more where customer experience is going and his also take on earned growth rate, because I think that that's something that's really dear to his heart. 
Um, I would also like to recommend to other people as well. So Maximilian Graf, who is the head of customer success at Meister, which is obviously a Verdane uh, company. Uh, but I think that they're doing something really interesting since they're focusing on product-led growth in combination with customer success. Like how are you doing scaled customer success in a very good way? So we'd be super interested to hear his perspective on this. And I think another person who has really inspired me, who I think is one of the best executives out there when it comes to you know building a really great SaaS company would be Mikkel Jarlin, who is the chief operating officer of Voyado. I think I've learned a lot from him personally, and I think he would make a great guest, share all of his reflections from the growth journey that Voyada has been through. Fantastic company, fantastic person. So yeah, those three are people, three people that I would love to hear on your podcast, at least. And they will make for fantastic episodes. Yeah. 100%. So thank you for being on the show. And uh, we're looking forward to engage with you furthermore with articles on the site and, and upcoming events and such. So thank you, Niklas, so much for being here and see you around. Thank you both. It's great being here. Take care now. Bye. Okay, Daniel, what's your takeaway from the episode? First of all, Nicholas is great. Love the guy and, and love the way he looks at, you know, sharing in the community knowledge and so on. Uh, second of all, looking back at the episode, what we discussed here, um, I just take with me that your customer is a goldmine. Your customer base is really a goldmine. You know, it's, it's not just, you know, how much they pay you and how much they grow. It's if you do things right, if they're really happy with you, they can multiply your efforts and your reach to extents that is not possible otherwise. So I think that's really what I take with me. Like, don't underestimate the energy you need to spend on your customers, not just to grow them, but the growing and the following that they can attribute and contribute to. So that's that's the feeling I walk away from here. A reminder for us that customers are really key. What about you, Thomas? Well, I think also it's about daring to ask the correct questions. So um, he mentioned that actually ask a customer how often they reference you to, to get a better understanding of what it looks like in reality. But also make sure that you have resources to leverage your customers. Uh, he talked about customer marketing, how, how you in different ways can give your customers and your champions an arena to, to share um, what they have done and, and also put the focus on the customer rather than on your product when it comes to the messaging that you have around your testimonials or your customer cases and so on and there's so much to do there besides just making a white paper or so so maybe you need a special function for it if you have the opportunity in your organization and uh, I think we will come back to that in another episode a little bit deeper but again Thank you for being with us today. We have a lot of exciting stuff in front of us as well this spring. And uh, we're of course thinking about SASIAS 2023, our big conference in Malmö, Sweden. We're gonna gather 1200 people for two fantastic days of learnings in all kinds of areas around B2B SaaS, but also have an opportunity to create new relations and have some fun together in the community. So welcome, check out sasias2023.com and sign up and hope to see you there. And on that happy note, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.